Hi, welcome to this week's At Any Rate podcast. My name is Pat Locke, joined today by my colleague James Nelligan out of London uh, to discuss FX on the back of the pretty hot US CPI print this week, in addition to some other inflation-related developments elsewhere in the G10 space. Kind of speaking for myself here, maybe, but big picture seems pretty disappointing in that I think we're sitting here with the dollar complex basically having retraced and unwound its gains uh, from earlier this week um, after CPI. You know, more broadly, you've had a couple big blowout U.S. data prints recently, uh, pretty decent data altogether, um, and yet the dollar is basically less than a percent higher than, a, than its average level from the back half of January. Um, so what felt like a couple prints that were, you know, worthy of potentially a trend in the price action, we're basically back to where we started. So I've been asking myself kind of, you know, what gives... Um, and so basically to get right to it, um, you know, I've come up with a few potential explainers as to why the dollar hasn't been able to hold on to its gains. None of them are, I think, are like particularly satisfactory on their own, but maybe taken together can kind of help rationalize why, for example, you know, euro dollar and Aussie dollar are back to basically pre-CPI levels. Um, so for one, you know, some people are downplaying the print a little bit because of the noisiness of the January data. Um, there was some of that discussion around payrolls as well. Uh, relatedly, there's some sense in the market data, like in the month of January, has tended to be pretty firm throughout the current cycle um, before fading a little bit more into February. So that would suggest needing to maybe see, you know, strong February data as well to help validate, um, you know, data trends more broadly. So that's one thing. Uh, another is about maybe implications for core PCE. Um, you know, even with the strength this month. You're not seeing necessarily a big narrowing in the in the CPI PCE wedge that you know has been discussed recently. Uh, so I think the latest tracking for PCE is still around 2.7% year over year, which is you know still technically inching towards target. Um, you know to be sure though, I mean January PCE should be on the high side relative to recent months, and more broadly, we do see some scope, uh, you know, for core to go up in the first half of this year. So it's not like you know PCE's uh, PCE is entirely dislocated from the CPI trend. Uh, third, there was some Fed speak this week that did seem to kind of be slightly looking through the high side print, um, basically suggesting that it's not enough as yet to derail the broader disinflationary trend at this point. Uh, fourth, you know, there's been kind of some data on the back end of this week that's coming softer, most notably retail sales. Uh, it's obviously not a great sign for real consumption to have a disappointment in kind of like, you know, nominal retail sales, but upside beats and in inflation. Um, and otherwise, more broadly, I think maybe that starts to undermine the idea that, you know, U.S. data has been generally and holistically strong. And then there was also some kind of cross-market data that might have weighed on, you know, things like U.S. yields, um, particularly the U.K. inflation print kind of midweek. Our rate strategist mentioned that, um, you know, that was one reason for, for yields coming off the highs um, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, kind of maybe taking those last few all into account together, it's probably not unreasonable that yields are, are generally off the highs. And, you know, we've been tracking broadly that the dollar twice, um, you know, still have been very correlated just with the outright level of yields. And so to the extent that yields have come off the highs, you know, it's it makes sense. then the dollar um, is also kind of retraced uh, to some weaker levels. Um, and then I guess the final point I'd make um, in terms of trying to explain all this is that, um, you know, there's been some discussions around positioning, in particular, kind of anecdotal evidence that hedge funds have gotten, you know, fairly long dollars to begin the year. Um, we did an update on the positioning side midweek after the CPI print, 
Um, we saw very kind of significant um, euro dollar downside demand. Uh, but more broadly, I mean, looking at kind of like medium term kind of positioning trends, three months, six months, it's not clear to me at all that there's a very oversubscribed kind of like dollar long position. Um, and if you think of kind of about what happened in the fourth quarter of last year, obviously there were a lot of shorts in the dollar complex that were built up. Um, and so my kind of my impression from January was that um, a lot of the positioning improvement in the dollar was not new length per se. It was kind of unwinding those shorts. Yes, there's definitely been some kind of like fresh length put on uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, but generally speaking, I wouldn't say it's um, gotten to the point where it's a really material headwind in a broad sense for the dollar. So I kind of downplay that one. Um, end of the day from the CPI side, I mean, a couple of things stand out to me. Um, First is that, you know, the broad-based nature of the CPI beat and also some supplementary data that we've had, like the import price index this week, suggests that it is actually really becoming kind of a slog uh, on the disinflation front. So uh, core goods are firming, services are obviously proving sticking at this point, even if you kind of downplay or dilute the reading from the super core, which was 0.85% month over month. Uh, and I think generally from the FX side, you know, it's pretty clear that the dollar's done well this cycle in inflationary environments, uh, you know, given the read through to Fed decisions. Uh, and so if that kind of data continues to come in on the high side going forward, you know, especially if it's corroborated by, by strong activity data in the labor market, as it has been, you know, last couple months, then I think the bias definitely should be from our side to see the dollar higher from here. Uh, and then there's also the relative compo component to keep as well, keep in mind as well. Um, you know, we've made the point recently that this will be one of the most coordinated easing cycles in history. Uh, and that should, you know, at the very least partially insulate, you know, the dollar's yield advantage on a relative basis. Uh, and if it's a case where the U.S. data continues to run strong, but other places like, you know, the U.K. and Japan continue to show, show surprise disinflation, technical recessions, you know, while the U S is printing 300 K on, on NFP headlines. And, you know, I'd like to think that the FX response still should be relatively straightforward, uh, in dollar positive, or at the very least, I guess, not dollar negative. Um, market does seem to be more kind of in that latter camp, uh, than the trending higher camp though. Um, so with that all being said, James, maybe I'll turn it over to you. You know, I referenced kind of a bit of a dichotomy between the U.S. CPI print and the U.K. inflation print this year. Uh, you've talked about, um, you know, kind of biding your time to see weaker activity out of the U.K. alongside kind of continued disinflation, uh, potentially to kind of scale up the bearishness on sterling from neutral levels. Um at the end of the day, though, there was like a lot of mixed data, it seemed like, out of the UK between the recession, technical recession, uh, the hot wages and the, dis uh, you know, the inflation disappointment. So where do you kind of come out on all this from this week on the UK side? Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, back in January, there was a fair amount of focus on strong data surprises out of the UK generally on, on activity and that supporting sterling. And and this Q4 GDP print this week is is really just a bit of a reality check that that actually the economy was in technical recession in the second half of of last year. Um, but obviously you do have trade weighted sterling close to to multi year highs, so it's it's clearly not growth that's driving that. Instead, it's probably sterling's you know relatively high yield. 
So what the way we're thinking about it is is the recessionary GDP print matters for sterling as far as it can translate into a normalization in inflation and wage growth. That's really what needs to happen. Uh, we we didn't, I, you know, I didn't really see that in the in this week's wage growth and inflation data. You know, sure you did get a miss on inflation, but it wasn't broad based. It it wasn't as big a miss as as the November print, which is really what the market wants to see to uh, to move the needle on on BOE pricing. Uh, you look at our our economist forecasts. We've got a headline inflation in the UK moving below target to one point five in Q2, uh, but BOE speakers have said they will look through that. Uh, but our forecasts also have core coming down to 3.2 in Q2 and then below 3% in Q3. So it's going to take patience, but if, if we can start to see that technical, that technical recession drive a normalization in price pressures, then sterling valuations start to look lofty as the market prices out some of that yield advantage while growth is is still weak enough for, for the BOE to to cut rates. So um, for the currency at the, at the moment, euro sterling's cheap to rate spreads, but we think it's probably cable where the bearish sterling view could could realize as you, you do have, as you mentioned, Patrick, that that clear divergence on inflation, growth, and relative equity performance, which I think is is under discussed um, as a theme uh, between the UK and the US. Uh, so we've got we've got that 120 in the Q1 forecast for cable, and and we see fair value on our models in the kind of 123 to 126 range. Right. Thanks. And um, maybe just turning to the other kind of big inflationary surprise this week. Uh, you know, you cover Switzerland. We've tended to be constructive on Swissy, you know, for some time. Noting that even as kind of, you know, inflation obviously comes off the highs, you know, in Switzerland that the SMB hasn't entirely abandoned its kind of, you know, Swiss buying FX selling program, um, even if it is scaling it down commensurate with the kind of the downshift in inflation. But, uh, you know, it seems like the inflation print caught some people off guard, you know, to the downside. Um, you know, does this present risks of the SMB basically neutralizing its its balance sheet program um, in a way that basically, you know, gets away from from that kind of positive Swiss flow. Um, how, how do you kind of view the setup after the inflation release this week? Yeah, so so clearly this is a key risk to the view. A, a big miss on inflation, headline printing 1.3, core 1.2, clearly raises the risk of a rate cut as well from, from the S&B in March, which, which isn't fully priced. But uh, we wouldn't be totally surprised by a cut in March, but our base case is still for a cut in in June. Um, we think SMB will will stay patient. You've got they are obviously below neutral, very different to to other central banks. Uh, their forecasts show inflation ticking back higher, and obviously trading partner inflation's been been more sticky. So we think they'll be patient and wait wait to June, but risks. Uh, are growing of a of a March move um, on the inflation on the intervention front. Sorry, um, market has been running with with the theme that suggested by the by the latest S and B data that the central bank has been maybe even marginally selling Swiss, but as you say, definitely moderating what they had been doing um, in a in a quite clear way. Um, and clearly, an inflation print like this allows the market to to keep running with that theme. Uh, but we're a bit more cautious on on chasing that here. Obviously, positioning now 
short Swiss. And uh, we, we don't think the SMB are going to be selling in in amounts that exceed the, the balance of payment surplus. So ultimately, you, you still have a net positive flow uh, for the currency. You still, in our view, have quite weak regional growth, which helps the currency from a, from a safe haven perspective. And we also think um, increased tariff risk matters, matters for Swiss uh, from a safe haven perspective, which is a talking point. For for the dollar and the euro, but I think is is less discussed for in in, in the Swiss market. Um, but as you say, it's um, it's 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 a toned down bullish view that's uh, it's less clear cut than than last year. But uh, we still we still think uh, we we don't want to chase this move here. We're still we're still reasonably constructive on Swiss. All right, thanks very much for that, James. Uh, with that, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on February 16th, 2024.